but it might be now. There we go. Good morning. I'm not quite ready, but that's okay. The buckets are still going around anyway, so you can still chat for a few seconds. Let's get rid of this. If you have a, nothing to do with your hands, you can open your Bible to uh, Judges 6, which is where we're going to base ourselves this morning. Just need to find it myself, of course. That's helpful. Judges 6. Every, uh, I've got most of the Bible references up behind me as well, so um, if you haven't brought a Bible, don't worry about it. You can just follow it on there. A few weeks ago, we were here together, and I was preaching, and we were looking at uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and Paul and his weakness. And he made some startling statements. We looked at how he said that he delighted in his weaknesses. And he boasted in his weaknesses because he knew this, that when he did that, the power of Christ would come and rest on him. And he makes this wonderful statement at the end of the passage you looked at where he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Then I can do what God's called me to do. And I want us to continue that theme today. I referenced very briefly... Uh, Gideon, as part of that message, we're going to look at him in more detail today about a man who essentially was weak, but through God's strength accomplished amazing things. That is our plan this morning, and you may be familiar with Gideon, you may not. We're not going to cover the whole story in detail, but we are going to read through the first few verses, and then I'll summarize the rest. But I do need a little bit of help with my reading and I do a little bit of help with the action that goes on as part of the reading. Have we got the handheld mic? Is that all right? Thank you. So, I need some volunteers. Everyone's carrying away immediately. Not me, don't pick me, don't pick me. Who wants to be God? <laughs> yeah, let's go down. Angel of the Lord, God. Stuart. Hmm? Stuart. Stuart. <laughs> you are God. Nice to meet you, God. You stay there for a second, you're all right there, don't worry, just look lovely and comfortable for a bit. I need, uh, I need a Gideon. Any Gideons? Who? Dominic! Yeah! If ever there was a Gideon in this place, it's you, my friend. Come and stand next to God. Uh, do we have a prophet in the house? Is there a prophet in the house? Um, you'll have to read quite complicated verses, Micah, so unfortunately, it might not be you. Um, any prophets? Come on, guys, this is going to take a long time unless we get some serious volunteering going on. John Cressy, you've been volunteered, I'm afraid. Come and step up, my friend. John Cressy. Right. Now, you, you, the rest of you are thinking, we've got away with this. You haven't got away with it, because I need some Midianites and some Israelites. So I'm just going to work out which one are the Israelites and which one are the Midianites. You're slightly, you're, you're slightly bigger and larger in number, so you can be the Midianites and you can be the Israelites. Okay? Don't get all haughty, it's just the grace of God. Okay? It's his sovereign choice. It's nothing to do with your abilities or anything, okay? Lesson learned there, I think. Right, okay. Let's see if this works. Ooh. Right, so I'm going to read it, and when there's action involved with your character... I want you to do that action. And when there's words associated with your character, I'm going to pass the mic to you for you to read it. So you guys might want to come and just step back here and observe the screen so you can read it. Is that all right? 
So this is Judges verse 1, Judges 6 verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Well done. Lots of evil on the back row there. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Very good. Excellent. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They, it's not a panto. It's the, it's the word of God. Okay? <laughs> they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle. I didn't allocate any sheep or donkeys or cattle for a reason. One was that. The other one was that you'd have to be killed right now. So who was that? Who made the noise? Right. Can you guys just... No, we'll leave, we'll leave that for later. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Where? We're going to have to go manual, sorry. Uh, we're looking for the next verse. Is it going to work? Just When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I've got lots of words. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said... The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. <laughs> but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I am not sending you. Am I not sending you? <laughs> it's a big difference. <laughs> am I not sending you? Rather than I am not sending you. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't prep these guys. They've not had a chance to put it. So let's... Yeah, and he's got glasses on. They're a bit clean. clean. Pardon me, my lord. Gideon replied... But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Brilliant. Well done. Round of applause for those guys.
Should we just leave it there? That was pretty, wasn't it? Let me give this to Chris. So that's the start of the story where God interacts with Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he doesn't really respond that well to it. And he doesn't really agree with what God says. But if you know the story of Gideon, and we'll just cover it briefly, after a little bit of fleece action, putting it down, wanting it to be wet and the ground to be dry and vice versa, and testing God in that sense and making sure God's with him, he eventually gathers an army which God then reduces down to 300 people and defeats multiple hundred thousands of Midianites. Significant victory from this fearful farmer, a man of weakness who operates in strength because God helps him do that. We're going to spend our time in these first 16 verses because I believe they're the key to his success in the sense of him getting hold of what God says to him completely changes the direction of his life, where he's going, what he does and who he will be. And so as the people of God, we've got to be those who are in weakness hearing what he says to us, that our lives are significantly changes and we're propelled into the purposes of God for our lives. Not because of our own strength or ability or confidence in ourselves, but because he comes, he speaks, he enables and he gives victory. So Gideon, a fearful farmer, he's in the wine press threshing wheat. When you thresh wheat, for those of us who are not farmers, you need air and wind. You throw up the wheat, the chaff we don't want blows away in the wind, the wheat falls down. If you're in a wine press, it's usually sunken down, there's not much wind. The Midianites are regularly coming in, destroying crops, stealing, all these sort of things. So, so we can conclude from this that Gideon is a fearful farmer hiding away not wanting to be seen by the Midianites to make sure he keeps hold of the little wheat that he has. And we can't blame him for that, really. But God steps into this situation and says to Gideon, the Lord be with you, mighty warrior. We would not have arrived at the same conclusion. We've not walked up to Gideon and go, well, I see there you are, a mighty warrior. We'd have arrived at a completely different conclusion. It is a ridiculous conclusion in one sense, for God to arrive at about Gideon. And Gideon must be standing there going, this is not right. It's almost as bad as someone, you know, Mary Berry walking into the room right now and going to me, Ben, I'm not going to do the accent. I'm not going to pretend I'm going to be her. Ben, you're going to be the next winner of the Great British Bake Off. My wife laughs heartily at that idea because she knows that in the last 10 years I've baked twice. One was producing a cake which was that high, which should have been that high. The other was to try and bake 12 scones and managed to get four. The grace, the grace of God is amongst us. It's not a panto. <laughs> scones, scones, whichever you wish. Or, for instance, a modelling scout comes into the building, walks up to, uh, walks up to uh, John Allen. If you could just stand up a second, John, so we know who this is. Walks up to John Allen and goes, I, th- I think you could be the next Naomi Campbell. It's a ridiculous, no no personal offence here, but it's a ridiculous idea. That would never happen. I mean, he's got good looks and a great figure, but he couldn't sashay down that catwalk. I just don't think he could pull it off. It's a ridiculous statement to go from fearful farmer to mighty warrior, that declaration. But let me tell you an even more ridiculous statement. That the God of all time and eternity 
a holy, almighty God would come to you and come to me as sinners, as people who have fallen short of his glory and his standards, as people who should have been cast away from his presence. And he comes to us and says, you're children of God. Now that is a ridiculous statement. But that's the gospel. That's the glorious gospel we've been celebrating today, that the the Lord of all time and eternity takes us from darkness to light, from death to life, from rejection to acceptance, from sinner to saint, from being far away from God to being warmly welcomed into his presence at any point in time. This is the power of our God. And this is the the habit he's in. This is what he does. He calls us. He speaks things over us and he brings them into being. This is the gospel. Gideon went from farmer to warrior. We go from object of wrath to the child of God. So in Ephesians 2, it says this, like the rest... We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace that you have been saved. God arrives to Gideon, who is a fearful farmer, and says, you're a mighty warrior. God came to us at some point in time, and we were in the depths of despair, dead in our transgression, by our very nature deserving of wrath. And he says, here's my love. Here's salvation. And uh, 1 John 3, 1, see, what's his God's love achieved for us? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love that little bit at the end. Because John says, and we're children of God. But by the way, just to make sure you understand this, that is what we are. I'm going to say it twice because I know we don't listen to it. So I'm going to say it three times because I know we don't listen to it. If you're in doubt this morning, if you're a follower of believer, sorry, a believer of Jesus and a follower of him, if you've given your life to him, trusted in the cross, you are a child of God. That is your primary identity before him today. Not sinner, not rejected, not in darkness, not away from him, child of God. Because that is what we are. And we need to walk in that, don't we? We need to believe that. We need to get hold of it. And getting hold of it, we sometimes need a little bit of help. So we're going to get a little bit of help from Pac-Man. Now, I know this is kind of 1980s arcade action, so I'm probably only appealing to those of you who are over 35. But I'll explain the concept for those who don't know. Pac-Man is the little kind of cheesy thing at the bottom and he's going around trying to get all the little dots, and the ghosts are chasing him. Patman's identity and role is this. I am scared of the ghosts, and I'm trying to collect the little dots. Okay? That's who he is. But his identity totally changes when he takes in an invincibility pill. It starts to flash a little bit, which means now he can go anywhere he wants. The ghost won't stop him because the ghost will get destroyed by his invincibility power. But how ridiculous would it be if Pac-Man 
were to take an invincibility pill and still continue behaving like he hadn't got one and running away from the ghosts. But let me suggest subtly to you, my friends, that that's what we do a little bit ourselves. God declares things over us and we still operate and live in what is, not, is no longer true of us. God says we're righteous in his sight and we can approach him with freedom and confidence anytime, any place, anywhere. And yet how many times do we take maybe an hour, a day, a week to come to God when we've done something wrong? The way is open. Or maybe in life something goes wrong and we immediately perceive that as God's punishment on us. He's punishing me and therefore he's pushing me away. We're a child of God. He's a father of love. If something difficult happens, then he's in control and he's maybe teaching us something, but it's expressing his love through that as well. We need to live in the fullness of what God says over us. A mighty warrior acting like a fearful farmer will never win a military victory. A child of God acting like an object of wrath will never enter fully into what God has for them. So what makes the difference? Faith. Believing God. Taking him at his word. But faith isn't that simple though, is it? Believing God wasn't that easy for Gideon anyway. If I was Gideon and suddenly an angel of God turns up a tree in my garden, I'd have had a slightly different reaction. I'd have gone, oh my goodness, there's an angel in my garden! He doesn't do that. He has a very different reaction. He starts to argue with the angel of the Lord, which I think is very interesting. So we're going to look at that a little bit. He's being polite and respectful, as Dominic was as Gideon, but he was definitely arguing with God. So let's read verse 13. This is Gideon's response to God's declaration over him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And Gideon has a point, doesn't he? He knows his history. He knows that when God is with you, you're winning, not hiding away. And his assessment is this. God has abandoned us. God says the Lord is with you. He says, no, you've abandoned us. Is it the same for us as children of God when difficult times come? When life is challenging? Do we say, God's abandoned us. The Lord's not with us. Do we arrive at that same assessment? Well, what's God's response to Gideon in this conversation? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God doesn't enter into the discussion that Gideon sets up. It's brilliant. I love it. He comes with this legitimate understanding of the situation he's in. You say you're with us, but it seems like you've abandoned us. God doesn't offer an explanation here. 
And let me suggest, actually, in life sometimes, we're looking for explanations because we want to understand what's going on. Why this? Why that? But we need to be honest, actually, and sometimes there isn't an explanation. Sometimes we can't fully get hold of what is going on in life. We have to live with those whys. Does that mean God's being like a parent who issues an instruction? Kids, does this happen to you? This happens, never happens to my children, of course. And the parents issue it, okay, go and do that. And they go, why? They go, because I said so. Go and do it. And they're just desperate for an explanation because you've asked them to go upstairs and to put their trousers on their head. But why? Just do it. They're seeking understanding. Is God being like that? Is he just saying, no, just do as you're told? I'm, I'm the one in authority, just do as you're told. Or is he like a politician, just avoiding that really awkward and difficult question? I don't think he's doing either, actually. I think God is saying there's something more important here. He's saying, I am sending you. I am sending you. When I was at school, there was a particular room that held a significant amount of fear for me. And that was the school staff room. As someone who shied away from authority anyway, to, to go near a room when all the teachers were gathered, for me, was just the epitome of frightfulness. And so there were a couple of times in class when I was asked to go to the staff room to fetch a teacher, particularly in a time of emergency. For me, that was the worst thing that could happen ever. And so my teacher would say, Ben, can you go to the classroom and fetch this teacher and bring them here quickly? Because something or other had happened in class. And I could have gone, oh, am I going to get told off because I'm not meant to be in the staff room? Is there, is there a special knock to get in there? I don't understand exactly why I should go there. What's going to happen? But actually, the important thing wasn't whether I understood exactly what was going on. The important thing was the teacher was sending me, and I needed to go. There was an emergency, and I needed to act. Life can be confusing. Life can be difficult. Life can be challenging. And there's a place for trying to work that through with God and trying to understand what's going on. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But there is something that is more important than understanding everything. And that's this. God sends us. I am sending you, God says. I am sending you, God says to us this morning. In the midst of challenges, in the midst of difficulties, we're on a mission to make disciples, to build the church, to extend the kingdom, and many other things that God puts in front of us. And if we want to be strong, mighty warriors, we won't let, let our lack of understanding derail us from this mission. We won't spend so much time considering the whys that we never get on with the therefores. We never get on with the action and the doing that God's called us to do. Let me, if I can, just phrase this in a slightly more challenging way. Please, let us not use life's difficulties as an excuse for not responding to God's call. God's called many of us here to do much. And we can look at life and the difficulties we face. We can look at ourselves and our weaknesses. And we can arrive and say, actually, it's too hard. I can't do that. I don't understand what's going on anyway, God. So how can I get on with this? Please, let's not 
Use life's difficulties as an excuse for not pursuing him and going after what he puts in front of us. And that could be in many different contexts. It could be at school. It could be for you guys at um, senior school. Maybe God's saying to you, it's time to do something radical. Maybe he's whispered something in your heart. And actually, for you at the moment, school's really tough. It's really hard. Your friendships maybe aren't as good as you want them to be. You're finding the academic side and the study and the exams a little bit tough. But God says, don't let the difficulties of life stop you doing from what he's asking you to do. And maybe today he's just whispering into your heart, it's time to do something radical for him. Or maybe parents here, in the challenges of life and parenting, particularly with young kids, we can sometimes just get so focused on that we forget to pursue God. And I get that, we get that. We've got young kids, it's hard, it really is. We've got to make sure that his mission is the priority. And actually our mission as parents is to disciple our children. And we can get into just looking after them and caring for them and forgetting actually we're discipling, we're making little Christs. We're bringing them into the kingdom. Let's not let the difficulties of life stop us from fulfilling his plans for us. But Gideon doesn't have just one objection. He has another objection. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, I think in the room, baby, no, baby Elsie is probably the smallest in the room. And so if I were to come to the smallest and the weakest in the room and say, could you just set some chairs out for me, Elsie? That'd be really helpful. Got a few extra people here today. Could you do that for me? It's very legitimate for her to say no, because that's not possible. But God comes to, to Gideon as the weakest person, and he thinks he's got a legitimate point. He's like, I'm, I'm the smallest, I'm from the smallest tribe, I am the youngest. You have got the wrong person, God. I'm not the right person for the job. I'm the smallest person here. I am the least likely to be a mighty warrior. Let me just put this really forthrightly, without explanation. Our inabilities, weaknesses, challenges, lack of resources are never a hindrance to what God can do. And I see lots of nodding heads and if we were in a Pentecostal church, I'd probably hear some amens as well. Might even get a hallelujah in there. But we really need to believe this stuff. Our inabilities, weaknesses, challenges, lack of resources are never a hindrance to what God can do. Let's look back again at what Paul said in Corinthians. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. He turns it around entirely. He says, oh, I perceive and see I'm weak. I, I haven't got the ability. Oh, it's fantastic. I delight in it because that means God's going to break in. That means God's going to help me do what he's called me to do. It means it's not about me. It's not about my energies or efforts or resources or skills or abilities. It's totally about him. Paul's got the right perspective. Where are we at? Let's just make sure that we get the fact that the Bible really does tell us this is true. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Gideon is the smallest person 
and the least likely to be a mighty warrior. So how does God respond to Gideon's objection? Does he gently help him and reveal to him the plan that he has ahead? Does he set out the strategy in outline for him? Does he reveal how he's going to change Gideon from being a fearful farmer to a mighty warrior? All those things I'd love to say yes to, but he doesn't. What did he say? I will be with you. That's, that's kind of it, really. But that is it, isn't it? That is it, really. I am with you. It's the statement that changes everything in the pursuit of God's plans. With us, with the promises of God, with his plans for our life, with any call he puts on our life, it's unlikely that he's going to show us exactly how he's going to bring that about or exactly how he's going to change us. But he promises this, I am with you. I am with you. Now, if, you are between, if you're under the age of five and you wish to help me with a little illustration here, would you uh, come to the front? If you're under the age of five, just I need one, but if two or three come, that's not the end of the world. Can I just... Thank you. Oh, Annie Maxwell, stepping up to the plate, maybe not, a little nervous. Grace, do you want to come? No? Annie, could you stand on this, either chair? Which chair would you like to stand on? No, she doesn't want to. That's all right, sweetie. But Kezia's coming forward, and she's looking bouncy. We can do it again with you. Daddy can do it if you want. Do you want to hold Daddy's hand on the chair? We've got Eloise. Wait, should we stand behind the chairs? Come on, sweetie. How are you doing, darling? Right, okay. So, could you get off the chair just a second, Lynn? Bit, <laughs> bit, bit keen. Right, so, can you stand there, Eloise? Right. Right, she can stay on. There we go. Kezia, I'd like you to jump onto that chair. Don't touch the floor, just one big jump, okay? Don't worry, though. I'm with you. I'll help you, okay? Are you ready? One, two, three, jump. Whoa! Good jump. Well done, you. Do you want to go? Right, Eloise, you ready? We're going to jump onto that chair, okay? Do your biggest jump possible. Don't worry about it, though. I'm with you, okay? You ready? Steady, jump. Oh, yeah, well done. Very good. Do you want to go back to Mummy? Do you want to do it, Annie? Do you want to go, Annie, or not? I want to go. You can be God. <laughs> That's the point of the illustration, just against wood. You ready, Annie? Can you jump to the chair? Don't worry, because Daddy's with you. Wow. Brilliant. Well done. Do you want to take a seat then? Thank you very much. Don't forget the hula hoops. Very, very simple illustration. But there's no way any of those guys would have jumped across the chair. There's no chairs. There's no way they'd have got there. But actually, fortunately, for the sake of the illustration, none of them panicked. They just I said, you know, Daddy's with you or I'm with you. And they're like, okay, I can do it then, that's fine. It's really, really simple, isn't it? And that's what God says to us today. I don't know what challenges you're facing. I don't know what difficulties in front of you. I don't know what weaknesses you see in yourself. I don't know what God's calling you to. But I really, really know this. Don't worry. God is with you. God is with you. Gideon has heard the same thing. Go and save Israel. 
I am with you. You're not fighting on your own. And we need to realize that victory is never rooted in our ability or resources, but in knowing God is with us and will give us all we need. Now, we've not got time to cover the rest of the story in detail, but as a summary, Gideon and God win. Hurrah! That's where he gets to. He becomes that mighty warrior that God proclaimed over him. And he took some persuading, but he walked into what God had called him to. Even though he was a fearful farmer from the smallest clan, God was with him and he won the battle. He was a mighty warrior. God has broken into our lives and spoken. We've heard the gospel. He showed us of love. He's called us children of God. He's made us children of God because that's what we are. What's God spoken to you about? What's he called you to do? Does it seem too big? Do you seem too weak? Do you not have enough resources? Is life too difficult? Victory starts with winning the battles for our hearts and minds today. Do we believe what God says? Do we believe what God says? And it continues with realizing that he sends us. He has a mission for us and he is directing us into that and we need to make sure nothing gets in the way of it, not difficulties or challenges or lack of understanding. And last, but by no means least, he is with us. His spirit has been poured out on us and he will equip us for every good work he puts in front of us. Gideon, me, you, we're all fearful farmers, really. And that's okay. To some extent. But we're called to be mighty warriors. And that's the direction we walk to. That's what we become when we rely on his strength in order to win victory. Can I have the band up? Is that all right?